Well, hello everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to another episode of the Rattlecast. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you love poetry, which is why you're here listening. So uh, please do click the like button and share. Make your make sure you're subscribed, no matter where you're listening to this. Um, whether it's a lot of people I, I find out are watching on Stitcher, make sure you're subscribed on Stitcher. After the fact, make sure on iTunes, give us some stars. No matter what you have in front of you, wherever you're listening to this now or in the future, you can click on something to tell the people who run that platform that you like us, and then they'll show it to more people um, spontaneously. And then poetry will get in front of more people, which is what we want. So please do uh, click the like button or uh, whatever the equivalent is wherever you're listening to this. Now, uh, today's guest is Allison Townsend. And um, Allison is the author of two award-winning books of poetry, The Blue Dress and Persephone in America, and a volume of prose, The Persistence of Rivers. And her poem, of course, probably everybody watching this knows, her poem, Pantoom from the Window of the Room Where I Write, won the 2020 Rattle Poetry Prize. She's Professor Emerita of English at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and lives in the country outside of Madison. And uh, here she is, Allison Townsend. Hello, Allison. How are you doing tonight? I'm fine. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, I'm I, delighted to be here. I'm so glad to have been a Yeah, I've been a fan of your work for so long. Um we published a poem, I'm not sure which issue, but even before I was here, we published one poem of yours. I, I remember pulling it out and liking it along, even before yeah. I worked at Rattle. And then uh, then you were a finalist for the Rattle Poetry Prize and finally won. We published a bunch of your Persephone poems. Um, I've just always admired yeah. your work. So it's great to get you on the on the broadcast today. Um, do you want to start us so out? Thank you so much, Tim. I'm... Yeah, do you want to start us out with a poem? Yeah, I will. I'm going to read a mix of um, old and new work tonight. Um, few pieces from each book for people who might not know my work and then the rattle prize poem and um some pieces from the collection in pro in progress and i'm just um i just would like to say how grateful i am to be here i'm honored and pleased and rattle is such a wonderful magazine and organization so thank you so much tim i'm really i'm really honored to be here thanks for um this first poem is from my collection um in progress um I'm not a very fast writer. I only <laughs> it takes me ten years to write a book. I read a lot, but I, it's a long time to get a book out. So um, I had given myself an assignment in this poem to write about something um, that you know you're not supposed to write about in poems. And what I gave myself was angels. <clears throat> so um, here we go. This is the poem. As it was on Earth, all evening I think of it sex between angels, wondering if it's even possible, or if spirits converse in some way we know nothing about, light entering light, perhaps, no boundaries between cells, skin like air, every moment edged in guilt, like the pages of family Bibles that left gold dust on their fingers when they were alive, which they still are, aren't they? If we can imagine them this way, palpable as the summer morning when my brother and sister and I woke up, surprised that our parents, who always rose early, were still in bed. We ran to their room then, accosted them where they lay, sweat-sheened and smiling, sheets and blankets pulled up to their necks. We giggled and growled and crawled up between them, drawn by the memory of the honey that had made us 
all time cupped and held in that moment as if then were now the future, not yet the past, but a story still being written. The one where she does not die young in a hospital far away from home. The shaky stitches on the little felt donkeys she sews for us, impossibly tender. His heart is not broken by a bad second marriage. He doesn't get Parkinson's or die alone, falling to the floor of his apartment at the Albuquerque Grand the day after he tells me he takes comfort from sparrows twittering in the pine trees outside his window. None of this has happened and everything already has. They are still right here, just in a place where I can't quite see them appearing this winter morning as the messengers angels are said to be, to tell me everything in heaven is as it was on earth. The felt donkey still soft in my hand, the birds still singing in the trees, the two of them lying there happy and sated, the flesh and blood they made together cradled warm between them. Thanks so much. Of course, that was uh, Alison Townsend reading As It Was on Earth from her forthcoming manuscript. Um, you mentioned already um, that you're not a fast writer. And that's one of the things that really struck me um, reading Persephone America and the Blue Dress, which is how, um, how, like, qu how much quality went into these poems. Like you could tell they're, they're 10 or more years apart. Um, and, and they're, they're <laughs> longer books for books of poems. Um, you know, they're, they're thicker. There are a lot of poems in here and they, they're also, um, I don't know, they're so carefully composed and it, it feels like, um, a lot of times, um, poets sort of feel like they put out books frequently, you know, and, and they don't have as much mm -hmm. substance maybe as these two books have. It was really impressive mm -hmm. to, to read them back to back. Um, can you, oh, can you talk a little you. bit just about, about what your writing process is like and, and why it's um, such a slow and deliberate kind of pace? Well, you know, it doesn't feel very slow and deliberate when I'm doing it. <laughs> um, it feels haphazard. Um, but I mean, I, I write a lot. I, I do try to write every day, but I'm not, you know, I'm not an eight hour a day kind of writer at all. Um, but it, it takes me a long time. It takes me a long time to put a book together you know, I'd say 99% of what I write gets discarded or never sees the light of day. So, um, yeah, and then the process of the, the movement from the blue dress to Persephone was, you know, telling a very personal autobiographical story in the blue dress and then reinterpreting that story through the lens of the Persephone um, myth in the in the in the Persephone book, if that makes sense. Yeah, that was another interesting th too. Reading them back to back was that um, uh, the blue dress, which was the first one, right? Do I remember that? Mm -hmm. Right, the blue dress. Yeah. So that feels like um, it was it's very personal, and then and then Persephone in America sort of continues those same themes and feels very tied to it, but sort of branching out into a broader um, um, just view of the world, I guess. Um, do you yeah. think um, yeah. do you think you have a lot of times we've talked about to poets who sort of have one um, sort of overarching theme that they put forward? And I was thinking about that looking at yours. There's a line in one of the early poems in the blue dress, um, which um, is how close the underworld is. The taste of the dirt in my mouth from um, I'm not sure which poem that's from, but there's this sort of yeah. sense of the underworld. And in in so much you write like the our time here on earth 
and what's coming after it, you know, um, first through your mom's death in the blue dress and then through Persephone, mm -hmm. whose story, of course, if people don't know, which I have to look up Greek uh, mythology every time because I can't keep them straight. But Persephone um, was kidnapped by Hades into the underworld and became the goddess of spring because she could be let out um, once a year kind of from her um, marriage in, in Hades in the underworld. Um, so so that those themes sort of play through both books. Um, do you think that's something... Mm -hmm. Um, was that intentional or is it something that you're drawn toward or, um, I don't know. How, how do you think about that? I mean, it wasn't intentional. I think, I think every writer has his or her theme, mm -hmm. you know, that they, or maybe they have a couple of themes that they revisit over and over. It's sort of like a, like a spiral maybe that we, you know, hopefully we're, we're widening the spiral as we keep writing. But, um, I mean, certainly the experience of losing my mother, you know, I felt like I had an encounter with the underworld when I was nine years old. And um, that experience has never left, never left me. Um, but has also, um, I mean, it was a terrible wound and a terrible loss. But my mother also became a kind of, um, one of my teachers in graduate school described her as my tutelary muse. And I thought, wow, <laughs> what's that mean? <laughs> you know, and I didn't quite, I hadn't written the blue dress yet. So I didn't quite understand. And, and then I understood better, you know, that she became a figure guiding me through it. So I mean, and I see the two books as being really linked, but the writing wasn't necessarily methodical or intentional. You know, mm -hmm. I think I structured Persephone more deliberately, the blue dress, I sort of gathered poems and then saw how they fit together. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that definitely does. Over in the chat window, Catherine Yetz says, uh, you widen the spiral uh, as you write, mm -hmm. which is kind of, yeah, I think that's a great oh. way to put it. Yeah, I love that. You do sort of spiral Catherine around certain themes. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine um, Yetz is one, one, one of my, a wonderful poet, one of my favorite students. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, I'm glad, so. let's just hear, glad you're watching, Catherine. Um, um, where did the, um, how did you come up with Persephone as sort of a, a metaphor? Where did that, is there something that triggered that idea? Are you in, are you, um, have, have you always been fascinated by Greek mythology or? Um... You know, it just was a, it was a, it was a, um, archetypal way of thinking about the underworld and loss, um, when I lived in Los Angeles, I, I, I did some Jungian analysis, so I was I was very familiar with that sort of depth psychology, and um, not that I was really thinking about that when I wrote the poems, but um, I think I just saw it as a you know kind of another angle um, on the material, um, mm -hmm. and to look at the underworld from a lot of different perspectives too. You know, I, I have a, a poem that I might read tonight about my a college friend who died, you know, and I had an experience seeing her ghost. Um, so I, I could come at the underworld from a lot of different angles with the Persephone story. But I think there's that basic sense of having been abducted by darkness at a very young age, mm -hmm. you know, and sort of carrying that in the psyche. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you want to read maybe two poems? Okay, I'll read, I'm, I'm going to read just a couple from um, The Blue Dress for people who might not know my work. Um, this book was really the heart song to my mother, but I, I also um, did some exploration of, of, of childhood in, in these poems. So um, the first one is called <clears throat> My Life as a Horse. And what page is that? This on? is going out to my, 
This is going out to my friend Marilyn Anucci. It's on page 66. Oh, thank you. Tim. Um, it's going out to my friend Marilyn Anucci. Um, my life as a horse. There was a time before breasts, before blood flowed, before boys' bodies made me too aware. When I was a horse, a shiny black filly with a lilt to her gallop, dressed in a blaze and two pairs of white stockings. My friends Kathy and Nan were horses too, and we vaulted over stone walls together, our manes floating like silk in the breeze. We straddled branches, urged ourselves on with whips of peeled willow, neighed and pawed at the macadam with hooves that rang like iron. We were clover thunder together. We were stampeding magic. We were sweaty creatures no one could understand. Then my friends got real horses and didn't need to play. Occupied by Gymkhana's, the North Salem Hunt Club, and the beautiful Palomino and Bay, whose muzzles felt soft as down against my cheek when I nickered to them in the tongue of our ancestor, Eohippus. I carried on alone for a while, galloping down Keeler Lane to the school bus, whinnying at horses confined in their paddocks, tossing my tangled braids fiercely until it got too hard by myself and the ways of horses dissolved like the first blood stains I washed from my jeans in cold water. I was a girl. I wore a teen charm bra and boys were suddenly the only thing that mattered. But sometimes when I am out running or see a horse alone, she comes back to me, that long gallop of rippling muscle, that pretty filly, that girl horse, so silky and so unencumbered by the laws of the body. That was my life as a horse from the blue dress. Um, do you want to read another one? Sure. This one touches a little more explicitly on the relationship with the mother. My mother um, gave me a pair of, of magic shoes not long before she died. <clears throat> Silver Shoes. The winter before you died, you bought a pair of silver moray pumps for parties. They shimmered like moonlight on water when you walked, spiked cressets gleaming beneath the smoky plush of your coat. But I wore them more than you, teetering up and down the hall for dress-up, my arches aching, your empty rhinestone cigarette holder flashing in my hand as I pretended to smoke the black cats that daddy brought you from Montreal. When I slid my feet into your shoes, I was almost as tall as you, their quiet sparkle like starlight that sometimes salted my dreams. And you knew to get me my own, stopping at Wanamaker's on the way into grandmother's and saying, pick whichever ones you want. I chose a flower-spangled pair that fit perfectly in a lady's five, their sheen caressing my feet the way canoes are held by water. And when my older cousins tease me, trying the pumps on, asking could they keep them, you said, no, they're Abby's, she needs them for something. You never said what for. 
But when I got home, when we got home, I asked if I could try the shoes on one more time before I went to bed. You slipped them onto my feet. I wobbled, a little more certain, out across the pool of blue braided rug. The room was nearly dark. I could not see your face or guess what you saw when you looked toward mine. As I walked away from you, into the shadows, light sparking out around me with every step I took. That was Silver Shoes from The Blue Dress by Alison Townsend. Um, Alison, you, you mentioned um, um, being abducted by darkness and um, as, as maybe mm-hmm. it's a great metaphor for, um, for depression, I think. And um, it is. And, and I was wondering, um, is poetry a kind of healing for you? Did, did your, your journey into becoming a poet have to do with your mother's death and then coming to terms with that? Was that part of the process or do you think that's just a, just something unrelated? It's a really interesting question. I mean, like, like many poets I have, I have had, I've had, I had a depressive episode in 1986. I mean, I've had, I've had the, you know, the big mama of the darkness <laughs> um, in my life. But um, I do think, um, I mean, I think all art is, impl- is you know, implicitly healing. You know, I mean, I, Isaac Dennis said, I, Isaac Dennison said, if you can, if you can put it in a beautiful story, it, 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 it contains it, you know, it, it, it creates a container, art creates a container for pain or loss or depression. Um, I don't know. I mean, her 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 death certainly pre- precipitated me on a journey that might have been very different if she hadn't died. Um, my my friend and uh, the late Holly Prado, a Los Angeles poet, um, also lost her mother when she was young, and she spoke frequently about her mother's death paradoxically having released her into her creative life. Um, and, and maybe there's some way in which that happened for me, too. I don't know. My mother was very creative, so she encouraged a lot of creative creative efforts on my part. Um, I thought I would be a visual artist when I was a child. I wanted to be a painter. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Did that answer your question? No, no, sort it of? definitely <laughs> did. Um, yeah, no, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, you said you, you wanted to be a, a painter. What, what drew you to poetry in particular as opposed to other art forms? Well, I think, I mean, I think for me, poetry happens, you know, it happens on, on two levels. It happens with imagery and it happens with sound. You know, there's this thread of music that I'm trying to follow and listen to and create the images for as I go along. I mean, like many people, I started writing poetry in high school. Um, And then I did stop for a while when I was in college, just, I was too shy and too afraid. Um. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it just felt natural to me, I guess, you know, I mean, I also write prose too. I write essays, but they're, they tend to be very lyrical. Um, so I, I think the music of it maybe is what pulls me. Um, Do you remember the, uh, the first poem you loved reading? Is there a certain poem that stands out and you said, oh, this is, this is something special. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> the first poem I remember, I had to memorize poems in, in when I was quite little, you know, like second grade. And I, I loved a poem that began, 
mud is very nice to feel all squishy squish between your toes. <laughs> um, but then I, I next loved a poem about dryads. I am the dryad of the wood. I shimmer in my solitude. I'm very overwrought, you know. Um, but it spoke to me. It spoke to me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I grew up in the in the New York metropolitan area out in the country, and I, I used to take the train in to New York to, you know, do what I thought were cool things. Um, and there was a little, um, there was a little bookstore in Grand Central Station. And I remember buying, you know, books of modern poetry there that I couldn't understand at all. But actually the first, you know, adult poet that really knocked my socks off was W.S. Merwin. Mm-hmm. He just blew my mind completely. What, I used to I used to look for his poems in the New Yorker. What about still what a ab- favorite? Yeah. What about Merwin? Was it that that drew you to him? I think it was his mystery. There's so much mystery in his poems. I once heard him read at UCLA, and he he sort of explained the story behind every poem, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I don't I don't want to know that. <laughs> you know, I just want to stay with the mystery. I don't know what. I don't care about what really happened. You know? Oh, that's yeah, such an interesting yeah. concept. Yeah, I mean, usually people, um, you know, prefer to hear the, you know, some background chatter to sort of let them into a poem. So it's interesting to to want the mystery. Um, I should say, if anybody has any questions for Allison Townsend, um, please leave them in the chat windows, either on Facebook or YouTube. I'm watching them, and we'll pass on any questions. I'd be happy to. Um, but uh, let's hear a couple more poems. Okay, I thought I might read the. Um the um the the pantoum next um and um i guess i'll just say about this piece that um i would not i would probably not have written this poem or maybe not have written it the way i was the way it is um if i hadn't been taking an amazing like amazing class on color um it was called the language of color with a poet in northern california named elizabeth brennan and we were on orange when I wrote this with this poem and, and I didn't think orange seemed like a very promising um, <laughs> color, <laughs> but um, I, you know, there was this tree outside my study window. Um, so I, somehow it came together. <clears throat> Pantoum from the window of the room where I write. At sunset, the russet oak turns into a lamp. Each polished leaf glows amber lit by sun. As a child, I raked leaves with my mother each fall. We burn small pyres, their flames the color of loss. Each polished leaf glows amber lit by sun. I could not know my mother would die young. We burn small pyres, their flames the color of loss. I stand here watching, older now than she ever was. I could not know my mother would die young. The tree is a galleon, its sails coppered by light. I stand here watching, older now than she ever was. I raked leaves into rooms and houses as a girl. The tree is a galleon, its sails coppered by light. I'll always be a daughter, part of her body's bright map. I raked leaves into rooms and houses as a girl. Death is a lit tree, its amber walls falling in pieces. I'll always be a daughter, 
part of her body's bright map. As a child, I raked leaves with my mother each fall. Death is a lit tree, amber walls falling in pieces. At sunset, the russet oak turns into a lamp. And that was, of course, Pantoum from the window of the room where I write, winner of the 2020 Rattle Poetry Prize. And I have to tell you, I've been arguing, you know, every year for the Poetry Prize, I try to find um, um, formal, like shorter formal poems, because we get into this rut where um, we publish longer, you know, a longer narrative type poem, that really powerful story and really emotional and stuff. And um, and then so that wins. And then the next year, everybody sends their longest, most narrative poem. And and so the po- the winners <laughs> just got longer and longer every year. And so every year I've been trying to, you know, hoping for a, for a shorter poem with some form just so people can see, hey, anything can win. <laughs> and um, so I was arguing for this poem with Alan and um, and he he was um, arguing for a different poem that was a longer, more narrative style, like like he's usually the winner. And uh, and so we were going back and forth, a pretty heated debate. And I said, um, Alan, look in the mirror. You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> and he was crying after reading this poem. And he said, he said, oh. uh, you're right. I am. Let's pick it. <laughs> and, but oh, it is gosh. such a, oh. it, it's such a moving poem. Um, you know, so well, the emotion is so well contained by that container. Um, and I noticed that, that I don't, as far as I know, you don't write in, um, in form very much. Um, is there, is there a reason you wrote this this way? And, um, it, did it start out as a pantoum? Um, and, I don't know. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I I, I don't write in form a lot. I, I like I like form. I admire form. Um, um, certainly, when I was in graduate school, I mean, I had one semester where one one professor made me just work in form the whole time. Um, I think it was the um, it was a combination of the topic. Um, and and the beginning that I was just struggling with orange and then there was the tree and you know I've been looking at this tree for 20 years I live out in the country and we have oak savanna around our house and so it was I mean I think the pantoum gave me a it gave me a kind of structure you know I mean because it has these repeating lines that get woven through it and something about the back and forth movement. And it, it felt like a very nonlinear narrative, um, if, if that makes sense. Um, and I mean, for me, the pantoum is um, ruminative and melancholy. And um, it just was a really good, you know, um, to go back to that idea of a container, it was just a really good container um, for the presence of the past in the present, mm-hmm. um, you know, which I think is sort of another one of my themes. Um, and, and also the idea that profound loss can be illuminated by beauty. That, that was, that was sort of what I realized. I didn't realize that at the time. I realized that afterwards, of course, mm-hmm. you know, when I had to read a little statement <laughs> to send you guys at rattle. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it just, so. it does. It works so well. And that was a great way to put it. It's the, it's the, the repetition makes it timeless. You know, it, it sort of, it, it resists any kind of like linear storytelling, which um, really adds to the, 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 it just, the way that the past is always with us. Um, and, and that mm-hmm. sort of feeling just, runs through the whole poem um there's a beautiful poem yeah. so glad we could publish it thanks so much for uh, for sending that 
thank you so much, and and thank you for for championing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my pleasure. Um, and hopefully, so this pantoums. year, I'm looking forward to a lot of pantoums, which um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, maybe uh, some other it, forms it, it too. Had eff- <laughs> it had the effect of making me want to write more of them, mm-hmm. um, and and also the the um, the 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 other form that I really like. I never is it is it gazelles or guzzles? How, how do you say that that word? You know the form I'm talking you know, about. I, I, everyone um, says guzzle. Who seems like they gu- know what yeah, they're saying? I but I always say gazelle. <laughs> So I, I think, uh, I so I think it's I just, think I, like gazelles better. Yeah, I do too. I, I it sounds, say guzzle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The guzzle, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't like the, I don't know, but, uh, but it's more beautiful than a guzzle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, do you want to read some more, some more? Yeah, I'll read. Um, I think I'll do, how are we doing on time? Are we, uh, are we doing all right? Yeah. We're about halfway through just to, okay. to measure it. Um, I think I'll just read, um, I'll just read um, two poems from the Persephone book. Um, and I, as I said, you know, besides just looking at the at the Persephone myth, um, I was looking at other losses and encounters with death. And so um, one of them was this experience that I mentioned, seeing seeing the ghost of my friend. I need to take a glass of water yeah, here because... Sure. Um, she said, Jimmy Papa says, I found six different pronunciations of guzzle. <laughs> oh, <laughs> six. Okay, I like that. Who said that? Uh, Jimmy Papa's the, the, we published his chat book last year. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, let me know the page number, too. Um, don't, don't forget. I'm sorry, 72. Okay, thanks. Um, This is in memory of my best friend from college who, who died when, when she had cancer and she died when she was 50. <clears throat> and still the music. One month after your death, and I'm doing my every other day when I don't run workout at Curves for Women, Stoughton, Wisconsin's equivalent of a gym where I've already won a Curves buck for guessing tonight's trivia question and the big news is that the local Walmart won the best hometown store award and the ladies, as they call us here, are sweating and panting their way through the circle of machines when great balls of fire comes on. And damn, if you aren't right there before me, the slit between worlds opening and closing like an elevator door as I hustle from the peck deck to the recovery pad and for just a second, for a breathless, high-stepping, hip-swaying, triple-beat second. I see you, dressed in that vintage purple lace you wore to a dance in college almost 30 years ago, waving a rhinestone cigarette holder, your arms open, your mouth red and alive, startling me so I almost stop until I see that if I hesitate, you fade, and that to keep you here, I have to keep moving because you never sat any dance out. And so I do, powering my way through the leg press, the oblique twist, and the knee squat until my muscles burn, moving my arms in and out, up and down, running nonstop on the pads, singing under my breath with the music, which somehow becomes R-E-S-P-E-C-T, and then great balls of fire again and every good dance song 
that dumb college band called Widespread Depression played, the sweat pouring down my face as I danced with you in this room full of middle-aged women trying to stop time or at least hold it at bay, and who wouldn't cry as I danced with you as if my good heart and lungs could somehow bring you back, breathing life into you the way the heart and lung machine could not in this room where you both are and are not. And the music keeps going. And I remember you twirling once at a dance and saying, I'm happy, so happy, as if you could have died then. And still the music carries us and tears splash down my arm for the girls we were together and the women we became, for the empty place on every dance floor without you. And that was And Still the Music from um, Persephone in America. I'll just read one other poem from this collection. It's the last poem in the book. Um, one of the things that, that happens is that... Um, the eye of the book, me, the narrator, um, has a lot of encounters with um, Persephone figures, either as girls or young women. Um, and this was a, a very mysterious and magical encounter I had with a young girl, um, again, in Stoughton, Wisconsin. I don't know, maybe Stoughton, Wisconsin is the place to be. <laughs> Persephone at the crosswalk. She could be my daughter, this girl with corn silk hair, like mine at her age, but prettier, neater, who stands on the other side of the street with a stack of Nancy Drews this sticky August day in Stoughton, Wisconsin, waiting like I am for the light to change, which takes a minute longer than it should so that we stand here regarding each other, a woman in midlife and this girl her legs like spears, so delicate and untouched, she hardly seems real. Everything about her, perfect and young, from her cut-off blue jeans to the way her lashes curve on her cheek to her body wrapped tight in itself as an ear of new corn. I'm on my way to the library. She's headed home. The books I imagine she'll spend the afternoon reading tucked in one arm all she'll need as she watches her sisters and brothers. Cars purr past as we wait for the light, looking right into one another as strangers sometimes do with clear eyes and kindness. It's her beauty that draws me, but I can't say why she looks back, except for the weight of my gaze sweeping her body, hungry for what I have missed, the daughter I would have had not a girl at all, but 21 now. Nothing on this earth more gone than her. Then the light clicks, the little figure of a man blinking bright in its dark eye, and the girl and I pass one another, smiling. She looks at me closely, veering so near, I almost think she'll speak, the slight breeze of our passing, just brushing one another's skins. I don't know what the girl sees when she looks in my eyes or what looks back at me from hers or why this street is a river between worlds here in the middle of the country, in the middle of summer, 
the fields around this small town rippling with harvest, cornstalks taller than any child. But when I reach the other side, I stop and look back, unable to leave her, only to see she's doing the same. Time and no time passing between us, tasseled and falling, as we stand here, smiling again, then suddenly waving before we turn and walk away, the sun raining its yellow plenty everywhere down upon us. And that was Persephone in the cross, at the crosswalk from Persephone in America, um, Alison Townsend's uh, more recent of the two books. And just I highly recommend both of these books, really. They're both wonderful books. Um, um, we kind of asked this, talked about this a little bit already, but Catherine Yetz um, asked a question. When did you first become <laughs> drawn to Persephone? Um, how did her story find her way into your world and how did she become a muse in some ways? Was there a specific like moment that, that you found that, um, that archetype? Like we sort of talked about it in general, but. Um... Yeah. You know, I think that, I think the archetype probably found, found me. I, 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 I go back to, um, I go back, um, to my, um, to my friendship with Los Angeles poet Holly Prado, who who was my teacher and who really saved my life as a as a young writer, um, and Holly was a good guide and model for me because she had lost her mother too. Um, so I think I you know maybe I began to think about it there. I mean I I knew the myths, I knew the Greek myths, I liked them, um, I had read them when I was a girl, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a book over there, Orpheus, Myths of the World, <laughs> that I, I think I remember my mom reading to us when we were little. So so it was there, but um, wait, archetypes are mysterious, you know? I mean, they get hold of you and um, there's such a larger, there's such a larger kind of power. Um, you know, I do. I do feel in many ways chosen by her. I, I don't know if that makes sense. You know, no, um, no, and I, I mean, I think yeah. I do. I, you know, I think too that the 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 Demeter Persephone myth is like the myth for women. I mean, the mother daughter story. It's mm-hmm. it's just such a profound myth, and it's of course it's about much more than just the relationship between them. It's about life and death, and you know the seasons, and um, you know it's so rich. It it has so much. I don't know if I answered your question, Catherine. <laughs> well, I, I think you did. And um, I think the best, the best art, the best poetry comes when um, the subject chooses you. I think that's a perfect way to put it, too. Um, mm-hmm. So Vicky Miko uh, says earlier, you mentioned 99% of your work is discarded. Wow. Uh, wondering if you keep a dream journal. I do. I do. Um I, you know, I'm pretty disorganized about my journal. I, you know, one page is dreams, the next page is a journal entry, the next page is a poem. Um, and when I said I discarded, I don't, I don't throw it away. I mean, I have boxes and boxes of, of journals, which are, are frankly something of a storage problem. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I do, I do follow my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrea Potos over here sa- um, on Facebook says that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I figured you might know her. She says, Persephone at the Crosswalk is my very favorite of all your poems. So thanks for reading that one. Oh, um, thank you, Andrea. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, like a totally sort of different topic a little bit, was that, that you write about place very often. And of course, you have this whole um, book, The Persistence of Rivers, which are essays on 
um, river and place. Um, Why do you think place plays such an important role in your writing? What is it about that? I think it's really important for me because I've, um, I grew up in the Northeast. I went to college in Vermont and then I went to California to go to graduate school, having never been West of Pittsburgh. Um, and, um, that particular graduate school experience was kind of a bust, but, um, you know, I met my first husband, I stayed in California. Um, and it was such a big move for me. Um, and then I lived in Oregon, and then we were sort of peripatetic in our 30s. We lived other places. And then I came to the Midwest from Oregon, where I didn't want to come to the Midwest. So I think I'm really, I mean, the, the, the thing about place for me is this, it's, it's the search for home, trying to find where my home is. And I mean, along with that is the fact that we moved from our farm in Pennsylvania just three months before my mother died. So I associate place and loss together. So I think it's an effort to find, to find home, to define home for me. Yeah. yeah. We, we were the talk- book that's coming out. In the, oh, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say the book that's coming out in the fall um, is called a natural history of here. And it's about, it's about all those places look, you know, trying to find a home. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Tim, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, um, I was talking to uh, on this topic just a few episodes ago with, uh, I think it was Dana Joya. Yeah, it was Dana Joya. Oh, okay. And, um, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he's, he's a big proponent of place. And, um, and, yeah. and I was wondering at the time, we didn't really get into it um, while we were talking, but I wonder if there's like a place crisis in America or in, in just the modern world, maybe, because of the way, um, you know, we're sort of flattened through the internet. Like, and, and there's so much um, mm-hmm. through consumerism, everything being commodified. Like if you drive across mm-hmm. the country, you see kind of the same strip malls everywhere you go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a sort mm-hmm. of a sense that we don't have a connection to place like we used to. And if you look at like the original cave art and things like that, it's all about place and, and where the animals are and, and your connection to the mm-hmm. land and things like that. And, and we sort of have mm-hmm. lost that. Do you think, do you, is, there, is there a sense of like having lost a connection that you're seeking maybe in a broader sense to the natural world? Well, I've always felt, I mean, I'm a big nature girl, so I've I always felt a huge, and I grew up in rural places. I was very fortunate in that respect, and I, um, and I live um, um, about 15 miles outside Madison um, on four acres of prairie and oak savanna. It's not the wilderness, but it's amazing how much wildness is here. Um, I mean, I think lots of people are disconnected from that. I mean, I don't feel personally disconnected from it. Um, uh, you know, we also live in the Anthropocene. You know, we live in this era of terrible things happening. Um, my husband, who's sitting on the other side of the room here, is a climate activist. So, so I, you know, I, 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 I get to think about it a lot because of him. Um, I don't know. I think people are people are lonely for place. People are, and you know, place can be place can be urban too. You know, there's people who are really connected to cities. And I mean, gosh, when I lived in California, you know. Los Angeles was such a surprise to me. It's such a fascinating place and it's so rich, you know. I mean, I don't think I could live there now anymore, mm-hmm. but it's um I mean, place place and identity I think are really tied up together, you know. And and we can figure out who we are in relation to where we live and vice versa maybe, you know. Yeah. It's very mysterious. Yeah, yeah it is for sure. And I just I say I I loved um you wrote a lot of, and I think in the blue dress, a lot of poems were written um, about 
hiking and things in California. And I recognize a lot of the trails you were on because they're right up behind me. <laughs> that was fun, a fun yeah. too, that, you know, the Devil's Backbone Trail and things like that. The Devil's Backbone. Oh, that's yeah. such a hard trail. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I know. Um, well, do you want to read a couple more poems? Yeah, I will. Um, since we're talking about place, um, well, it's sort of a place poem, not completely. Um, uh, I'll, read, I'll read some newer work now. Um, you know, William Stafford always used to tell such a great story. He, he'd give a reading, and then he'd take this sort of crumpled piece of paper out of his pocket, and he'd say, well, this is the poem I wrote today. This is, this is not the poem I wrote today, but it, but it is only a couple of weeks old, and it's part of a series about my brother. Um, he was a doctor, and he, he died um, a couple years ago um, of, after, of kidney failure after having a transplant for almost 40 years. <clears throat> Um, it's called Burritos in Wisconsin. After my brother divorced, he came every summer to my house in Wisconsin with his kids, making the long journey from San Francisco to Madison as if he were coming home, the week with us respite in his fractured world. I'd meet them at the foot of the escalator for arrivals, tall, blonde man with his two little kids, Gabe with his tight curls and green eyes, Fiona in ringlets and a pink polka dot dress, a stuffed toy called Picture Pig clutched beneath her arm, the family photo encased in plastic on its plush flank, a perfect quartet of loss. The kids ran into my arms before I hugged my brother, his blue Oxford cloth shirt perfectly pressed as if he'd bought it just for the trip. I'd look for signs his kidney disease was worse, his face drawn, hairline receding, the skin on his hands and arms onion paper thin after decades on steroids. When we hugged a little shy at first, I felt Peter relax, his gruff guard coming down. All week, we did summer things, swimming for hours, catching fireflies at dusk, visiting caves and steam trains and farms where the kids fed baby goats bottle after bottle of milk as if there were no end to plenty. All week, my brother, who'd caught Epstein-Barr from a patient and couldn't recover, slept until noon. And all week, I cooked, especially my burritos with their creamy spinach filling, yellow rice and a crisp salad, his favorite. This is the best food I've ever had, he'd say. I thought of his words after he died as I searched for his searched his house, looking for papers I needed to manage his affairs. A stray page from his disability claim application documented fears he'd be unable to care for his children. True at the end, though they were older by then. He barely able to rise from the living room bed. The house stinking of garbage and piss, loneliness thick as dust, despair I can't forget, no matter how hard I try to shake it off. I want to remember us the way we were those summers, late sunlight warming our faces, the picnic table covered with the red and white checked cloth, vases of cone flowers and Queen Anne's lace picked by the kids, first stars just coming out, the yard filled with fireflies, and my brother 
eating one burrito after another, filled for a moment with everything he needed. That was Burritos in Wisconsin, a new poem from uh, Allison Townsend. How are we doing on time? Uh, We have about 10 minutes, so why don't we read one more, then a couple more questions from the audience, then one more to finish up with. I think that'd be a good good amount. Okay. Um, This is a a newer poem, too. Um, It will be in this slowly evolving collection. Um, I I like writing about objects um, and, and what they conjure for us emotionally. I mean, there's, they're always so, so much more than just an object. Um, so, um, in this poem, I write about my father's pipe. Um, he smoked a pipe, um, back before we knew it was bad to be doing that. Um, and, and some of the, the names that I mentioned are, are names of different kinds of tobacco. Pipe smoke. It made him different from other dads, that polished briar pipe with the vulcanite tip, stuffed full of John Cotton or four square or half and half, and then lit the aromatic smoke drifting around him in clouds that stained the air blue for a moment, then vanished, leaving behind a scent like burnt peaches. He carried his pipe everywhere, cupped in one hand or tucked in his back pocket, along with an olive pouch that unrolled like papyrus to reveal tobacco, dense and dark, moist from the humidor where he stored it with sliced apples to keep the flavor in. It was his ritual to remove a plug and work the strands free with his fingers, trickling the grains into the bowl he packed delicately as a hummingbird's nest. Then he tamped the tobacco close to the rim, loosening the top layer to ignite, the flame from his silver zippo zippo flicking out like a fiery tongue. He inhaled the smoke deep into his body, the pipe hissing and glowing like a small volcano's mouth, each puff savored and blown out in lavender wreaths that made it seem he could do anything, though he couldn't, of course, save my mother's life, stop himself from remarrying too fast, or even protect us kids from ourselves as we cross that wild and divided country into adulthood, pipe smoke, the first thing we smelled when we got home late, to find him waiting up for us, book in hand. After he died, I looked for my father's pipes, though I knew he'd quit smoking years before. And sometimes, out of nowhere, on a busy street, I'll catch a whiff of black ambrosia or nightcap or plum cake and think he is there in the brown Harris tweed jacket he loved, the one I took from his closet burying my face in its rough weave the way I did as a child, comforting me, holding me close, time burning like tobacco's sweet tinder. Excellent. And that was um, Pipe Smoke, another new poem by Alison Townsend. Um, Let me see. Where did it go? Um... 
Well, I can't find it. Somebody wanted me to ask, and so I like to say the name of who it was, but I can't find it. But somebody wanted me to ask um, if you could talk a little bit about rhyme in your poems, which is a great question, because I wanted to talk a little bit more about the, the composition in general. And you, you use internal rhyme and sort of a the sense of rhythm. You know, the, the poems are sort of long line poems that seem sort of prose-ish if you just glance at them. But then there's this rhythm and there's these internal rhymes that, that push the poem forward. Um, can you just talk a little bit about how you compose that? Is it sort of by ear? Is it through revision? How do you, how do you think about rhyme within your poems? You know, I do, I, I'm embarrassed to say I don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about it that much. Um, but what I do think a lot about is um, kind of bodily rhythms. I mean, to, for me, poetry is a very it's a very bodily experience, and so I'm trying to get the the music to 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 sort of play. I guess I'm trying to play the flute of the body, kind of, you know, in 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 the poem. So I pay a lot of attention to rhythm, um, and I think that probably brings with it. Um, usually unconsciously, um, words that, that rhyme or echo one another. Um, I mean, I know some poets who are, I mean, Marilyn Anucci, for instance, a wonderful, a wonderful poet in Madison. Conscious of sonics in that sense, you know, I mean, and, and I'm not as conscious about it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm always trying to get the rhythm right. I think if, if that makes sense. And it's very bodily for me. Um, a, a, a poet who I know, um, who sadly has passed on Richard Rowe, a Madison poet once said to me, he saw me at a, after a reading and he said, do you, do you realize that you're always swaying back and forth when you're reading? <laughs> and I thought, Oh God, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But, no, yeah, actually we talked about this physical. on a, another episode. And I think um, I, I noticed this early on as a, as a fan of poetry that my favorite poets um, all tend to move or tap their feet or sway as they're reading. Cause they're really, yeah. you're like playing the, the instrument of your body. That's exactly what's happening. You are. Um, and you, you play are. the, did yeah. I, I think I read you play the violin, right? Is that well, I did when I was a kid for a couple of years. I don't think I could say I played it. <laughs> yeah. um, do you um, do you play something different? I thought that you were in a um, some kind of music group that I'm I'm looking at the wrong bio. I guess maybe that's next week's poet. Yeah, no, I, that's me in an alternate life. I, I wish I was in a musical. It, group. it is actually. I'm thinking I love, of. Uh, I love music. Yeah, I'm thinking of Re- Rebecca Stark who. Um, um, is next oh, week's okay. guest. So sorry, I, I mixed yeah. the two up. But I was wondering if um, that's okay. Yeah, I was going to ask if if playing the violin, if you move in the same way you do uh, performing poems. But I guess that that doesn't really fit. <laughs> no, you do learn even even in the couple of years that I played it. I mean, you do you do learn to move with it, you know. And I played the piano when I was young too. And you move with you move with that too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, well, we are uh, yeah. just about out of time. Do you want to finish up with one last poem? Okay. Um, I was going to read a prose poem called Valentine. Um, do we do we have time for a prose poem? Yeah, sure. There's no no tight time limit. I just don't want to keep you too long. Okay. Um, so Valentine's is perfect, of course. Next, you know, Sunday's Valentine's Day. Yeah, Sunday's Valentine's Day. This this is a prose poem, and I, I like prose poems a lot. I I used to say when I was teaching that I thought they were like a um, uh, a transparent box with a mystery in the middle of them, and um. This piece, I, I have to confess, was actually published in brevity as a piece of short, short nonfiction. But 
it's a prose poem. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's, I know it's a prose poem. Can you actually, before you read it, just, um, just talk about what, what makes something a prose poem versus short fiction. Um, yeah, that's a category people are always kind of curious about when we publish, um, you know, we publish prose poems and, and rattle and people eat, write to me and say, Hey, that's great. That's great prose, but why is it a poem? Um, and how do you classify the, the difference between the two since you mentioned the differences? I think I think for me it has to do with the musicality and the and the imagery. I mean that makes it a poem. I mean not that prose can't have that because lots of wonderful prose does, but it's 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 the musicality and the rhythm um, that that makes it and that and whatever that mystery is that's floating in the center of it. I also think prose poems are very nonlinear. I mean the. Um, the blue dress was actually that was that was part of the um, Marie Alexander prose poem series from White Pine Press, edited by Robert Alexander. Wonderful series of prose poems. I highly recommend all those books. Um, so I've thought about the prose poem a lot. Um, and so from, from the yeah, from, but it's it's yeah from the other yeah, sort sorry, of yeah. direction of it. What what separates a prose poem from a, a regular poem that's lineated? Is there um, is there a reason you say like this is more of a prose poem? So it's that's how I'm gonna I'm gonna make it. You know, I mean, to get to go back to the body, I think it's I think it's often a bodily decision. You know, this just feels like a prose poem or this feels lineated to me or I mean, you know, lineation is so it's so fascinating to me, you know, just that word at the end of the line. What 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 happens there? You know, the energy between that and the next line. So it's it's just, I guess, a different a different bodily response and maybe sometimes subject matter i don't know you know mm -hmm. i don't know yeah well yeah. great well that's a perfect uh, perfect segue into this poem why don't we hear it valentine um okay yeah okay this is a prose poem so so i mean it's it's a little bit longer um it has an epigraph from emily dickinson where thou art that is home and it's for my husband um I, I mentioned the word whirls in here, and it's sort of like, you know, those whirls you see inside a, a vegetable or something. <clears throat> Valentine. It's the middle of winter, but tonight I'm in summer's warm arms, a Boston lettuce for our salad torn in half be before me. You're at the stove, stirring Indonesian sweet potato peanut soup. I'm at the sink staring down into pale green whorls. The heart's the best part, my mother says, a thousand Junes ago. Then a breath and I'm back, the moment sliding by, a window raised inside me, the hearts of the world lined up like school children waiting for the bus. Hearts of palm, artichoke hearts, the heart of the country, hearts of darkness, heart songs, heart throbs, Pour your heart out, wear your heart on your sleeve, set your heart free like the old Judy Collins song said. Lose heart, take heart, have a heart traps, the death of the heart, the heart is a lonely hunter. Joan of Arc's heart that was too pure to burn. The hoof prints pressed like hearts, dear leave behind in snow. The heart-shaped rock my friend found on top of a mountain the month after her husband died. In fifth grade, I wrote a 50-page handwritten report called A Short History of the Human Heart. 
as if with my colored pencils and tracing paper, I knew everything there was to say on the subject. And aren't we all experts? Aren't we all beginners when it comes to the heart? It's four chambers never big enough to contain us, though we haven't room for more. It takes so much work to get to the heart of the matter, a red fruit at the core of each conversation, little bonfires leaping between us when we kiss or hug or even just shake hands. When I was little, I had to recite poems by heart at school, memorizing them with my body while a fist in my chest punched at my ribs. It's still the same today, my heart in my throat, as if it could speak. The feeling is always red. I know my husband's face by heart, too, and that of the daughter I never had, though I have nearly forgotten my mother's face, dead when I was a child. My engagement ring has two gold hands holding a gold heart, as did my mother's, though my husband did not know that when he chose it. I wear the tip pointed toward my own heart. According to tradition, it is a sign I am taken. My father once helped me make a clay heart for a science fair project. Larger than life size, it hung on a metal stand wired with lights that mimicked a pulse. I didn't win a prize, not even honorable mention. I don't know what happened to that heart I'd spent a whole weekend molding and painting. When my father died, there was no autopsy, so we never knew for certain if it was his head or his heart. But when I stood in the room where he'd fallen, when I lay my body down over the place where they'd found him to touch what he'd touched last, I knew it was his heart the only muscle that we say can be broken. In the 60s, there was a salad called hearts of lettuce, iceberg wedges topped with Thousand Island dressing. No one eats it now. No one even buys iceberg lettuce. I still don't know why the heart is the best part, though my mother never lied about anything, or why we say lub-dub, lub-dub, to describe the sound the heart makes, the small ocean of the body rising and falling, rocking us each on the water, the way it did when I memorized poems, as if to say, I rise, I fall, I rise again, I rise, I fall, I'm gone. Thank you. And that was Valentine. Um, another newer poem uh, from Allison Townsend. Allison, thanks so much for being guest tonight. Uh, just beautiful poems. Everybody's loving them in the comments and quoting, uh, quoting oh. their favorite phrases in the, in the chat window. And um, I, just, I love it when you do that too. So thanks everybody at home for, for doing that. But um, just such great poems, you know, one poem after the other. I, everything I've read of yours, I've always loved. And um, the, the care that you put into each book is just so, um, so clear. So I hope everybody uh, listening you. to this now or after the fact buys a copy of um, either one or both of these books uh, really soon. Um, Allison Townsend, thanks so much for being a guest tonight. Thank you so much, Tim. It was wonderful. I really appreciate it. Great questions. And thank you, everybody, for being here. Excellent. Good night. Good night. Yes, once again, that was Allison Townsend. And um, her, uh, her books are, uh, let me show these again. Um, Persephone in America, um, and that was uh, 
the most recent one from Southern Illinois University Press. You can find that at siu.edu slash tilde siu press uh, from or just search for that University of uh, Southern Illinois Press. And it won the Crab Orchard series in poetry, the open competition, Persephone in America. Um, her other book that we have here is The Blue Dress, which was uh, part of the Marie Alexander poetry series from White Pine Press. So thanks, thanks uh, everybody for, for enjoying these poems. And uh, along with me, I was sort of, um, um, I don't know, just had have my jaw dropped open for some of those, uh, some of the lines that she weaves and the beautiful images. Now, uh, don't go anywhere because uh, we have open lines coming up for the rest of the hour. And um, as always, we have a prompt. You can um, participate. Um, if you wrote a prompt poem, you can share that today, or you can share anything you would like. Um, let me put up the numbers on screen. This is how it's going to work. Um, email the poem right now to openmic at rattle.com um, so I can show it on screen like we were doing for, uh, for Allison's poems. And um, then send me a, a chat message at rattle poetry, all one word, if you'd like to be on video as you share your poem. Um, just say hi, I'll say hi back, and then I'll call you when the time is right. Um, the other option is to do it by phone. The number is 818-850-7727. Uh, that's 818-850-7727. Let it ring a few times, then just hang up, and it'll put you on my call list, and I'll call you back when the time is right. I'll do um, any new poets we have who, who are first-time callers. I'll make sure we get to you, and uh, we'll get to as many people as we can for the rest of the hour. Um, I'm going to take a really quick break and um, just stretch out a little bit. And um, I'll be back in maybe a minute um, before, as I, as I do that, uh, let me tell you that um, next week's guest on the Rattlecast, like I already mentioned by accident, <laughs> is going to be um, uh, Rebecca Starks. And we published Rebecca a few times. She's a winner of the Neil Postman Award for Metaphor uh, for her um, a, a Poets Respond poem. And um, we've published her a few times. We have a poem of hers forthcoming. She's a wonderful poet and, as you know now, a violin player. Uh, so that will be... Rattlecast number 80 next Tuesday, so February 16th. Um, I'm going to stand up and just go away for like maybe 30 seconds. I'll be right back, then we'll get to open lines. Okay? Thanks a lot. back thanks so much for your patience um i just hate sitting down for that long i need to, to stand up a little bit and also find some other poems to share uh, if we have time now um this week's prompt was let me put this on screen if i can if i can find it um this week's prompt was to here you go let me uh, turn this down there we go um this week's prompt was to write oops what am i doing Sorry about that. Okay, this week's prompt was to write an automatopoeia poem. An automatopoeia, of course, is a figure of speech in which a word, when spoken, imitates the sound it describes. So tick-tock, clang, or splash are examples of automatopoeia. And the prompt was to write a poem that uh, uses automatopoeia. Uh, and uh, now my poem is right here. I was thinking about... Um, I just picked a sort of automatopoeia word at random and um, wrote about what it made me think of. And uh, the, the word was boom. And it made me think of um, 
we have these uh, in our little small mountain town. Every once in a while, we get actually like a boom, and nobody knows what it is. Um, late at night, some people think maybe it's that we live near Edwards Air Force Base. Maybe there's sonic booms. Uh, maybe there are little avalanches in the mountains like behind me. It's a Pelovian schist, which, which crumbles and collapses all the time. Um, it could be, who knows what it is. It could be, um, you know, there's the, the what are they called? The... Um, the North Carolina guns, that weird phenomenon, atmospheric phenomenon. I don't know, but we get booms every once in a while. And everybody sort of rushes to um, uh, Facebook nowadays and asks um, what that was. Um, and also, we're also on the San Andreas Fault, which so everyone's worried it's an earthquake. Um, anyway, this is my poem, 3 a.m. Boom. Here we go. 3 a.m. Boom. Then the sound of a whole town listening. A thousand hands paused beside a thousand bedside lamps. All our lungs holding in, all our breaths as we wait, ears probing the whoosh of the wind through the trees, the talking of the clocks in our chests as one by one we roll over, unworrying each other by our stillness, back to sleep. And um, that was my, my little poem. And Megan's poem here was this. Uh, Megan's poem, Pandemic Morning, day number 331. Focus on the crack of the egg, the way the yolk is like the desert sun. On the mornings, you walk trails that cut through the Joshua trees. Just feel the light in your bones to hear the caw of the crows above and pretend they speak a language only you can understand, like a girl in a novel who realizes the magic was inside her all along, but there's bits of shell in the pan, and the Zoom schedule is on the fridge, stained with chocolate, and winter stretches like a long yawn, which makes you think of 4 a.m. trips to the airport, the giddy exhaustion, the promise of a different sun, though the crows don't mind this one, and beneath the desert earth are bones that miss the light. And egg yolks look like sunshine. And here we go again, another Tuesday, another morning, another lamp lit. And here you are, alive to see it. And that was Megan's poem for the prompt this week. Um, and I can attest that is our experience of uh, of the world. This was written Tuesday morning. And, and all that stuff is our life, basically, right now. The, um, the, the Zoom schedule really is on the fridge. It really is stained with uh, chocolate from gosh knows what. Um, anyway, let me see uh, what you have for us. We have, um, let's see, we have Kristen Linnea of Ryberg has a poem for us. Um, James Gaynor would like to call in. Brennan Kamarinsky, we have a 551 we'll definitely get to because that's a first-time caller. Uh, Brent Stoffers here, Angela Gardner, D- Richard Westheimer, Caitlin Buxbaum, Zach Hayopatubi, and uh, Navita Karthik. So we have a whole uh, lineup of people ready to go. Let's see who... Um, who should we start with? I'm going to do the 551 number next. Let's call up um, Brenda Kamarinsky, because we usually call her later in the show. Let's do it. Let's call up Brenda a little earlier than normal and see what Brenda has for us. Um, let me find Brenda's poem here. I've got it. Two. So the phone's ringing for Brenda. Hopefully we'll, we'll get her on the line. Hello. Hey, Brenda. How are you doing tonight? How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, what do you want to share? You have two poems here. Do you want to do, um, let me see, are they, well, they're kind of short. You could do both, I think. Okay. Well, I'll do the, um, the, the tourist one first. <laughs> um, this, this was, uh, 
you know, from a couple weeks ago, I was like, oh, I don't have any tourist experience. And then it, it dawned on me that the house I live in was originally built as a two-room cabin cottage you could rent. And they used to come out from Boston to camp in the woods out here oh, wow. in Pinehurst. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like, oh. And then, of course, then I was like, oh, and now we need to add... Anamanapia. So let me add some <laughs> some words to this poem. And there we go. We got the double prompt poem here. All right. Um, so the tourists used to come. Ding, ding, went the trolley out from Boston, Woburn, Lowell, and here to the cottage in Pinehurst Park. They called this place the Breton Woods of Massachusetts, as if rustic culture would always be fashionable. The dance pavilion rattled every Saturday night while boys fished in the murmuring Shawsheen early in the morning and good folk headed to St. Mary's. The trolley comes no more. Now I hear the buzz as the trees come down. Drive past signs saying, thickly settled, and go slow, children, as the future rushes headlong and the hawk screeches in search of the woods. Excellent. That was the tourists used to come. And we have a photograph here of the Pinehurst Park for yep, everybody watching at home. Yeah. 1920. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that is really yeah. cool. And that, and that's where yeah. you live now? Yeah. Yes. Excellent. That sounds... Obviously, the, 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 the cottage is no longer a two-room cottage. It's now, you know, a three-bedroom, two-bath house. So <laughs> some additions. <laughs> well, it seems like a great place to live, though. That That looks wonderful yeah. there. Um, yeah. And what's the other one you have for us? This is the acrostic. Do you want to do that too? Yeah, this this is the double acrostic. Um, hold on, let me open it up. It's called Come to the Bayou. Come to the Bayou. A quiz. But first, why can't you be unorthodox? Dust off your right elbow. Elbow grease is needed for improv. For questions come fast in the bayou going to need to be ready and not last. How do you dodge the teeth of your alligators? I run on top of the water, just as I wish for a fully loaded trank. Kayaks are not as useful as you can easily get a bump. Land yourself headfirst in the cold, dank water and cause a hubbaloo. Mind you, I have used a kayak to outrun a gator before noon. Not that hard in the heat while they sleep. I don't harass them. Out doing their own thing, they're rather dull. Pray they ain't hungry when you fall in, because that's when they get quick. Queens and kings of the bayou hear gators rule, and we treat them as Raj. Run without falling, then sit and watch. Catch one if you can, serve them up with ravioli. Seasons come and go, and you'll learn to live with them hiding in the deep undergrowth. Tomorrow will bring more of the same. Long days, but bright nights of banjo song. Underneath it all, everyone's belief. Victories comes to the hunter because of daring courage, and the idiots are safe while they listen to Grandpap playing the jug band. Xylophones made from cedars falling and washboards put to better use making music. Young players leave for Chicago, and you here now to take their place in the nightclub. Zig and zag all you want. I just want to know, will you be my new mama? Oh, that was great. Yeah, that was a double across to come to the bayou. Brenda Kamarinsky, thanks so much for sharing both those. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good night. Yep, and you thanks too. for the interview tonight. That was awesome. Yeah, Allison's great. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Brenda. Good night. Good night. Okay. 
Let us see. Um, let's try that 551 number and see who that is. Um, let's try that 551. I don't know where that would be in the country. Let me see. So the phone's ringing. Hey, uh, does it show up? Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. Um, you're on, live online for uh, Rattlecast number 79. Would you like to share a poem? Absolutely. Yep. So uh, I just started following uh, Rattle a couple of hours ago, and I was lucky that I was able to get into this live session of yours. So thank you for calling me. Um, thanks. Um, did, did you send your poem in? Did you email it? I did. Um, and what? Um, let's see. Is it is it Piano Teeth is the um, email address? No, it's Lab, it's Lab Job, uh by Shilpa Agrawal. Okay, yeah, I see it there. For some reason it comes up as that. Okay, so we have the poem here. Yeah, the old aesthetics are yeah. fleeing. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I just wrote that I scribbled a few lines a few minutes back. So let me say it. English is my second language, so please pardon my heavy accent here. Oh, no, that's um, wonderful. Don't worry about that. Okay. Um, lub-dub as the sound squishes. Lub-dub as the sound squishes. Lub-dub drawing wavy lines on the monitor. Lub-dub, another heart says a fearful lub-dub. Lub-dub, the fearful heart says, if only I can give away my lub-dub and take away yours. So the monitor draws a perfect lub-dub. Lub-dub, when the fearful heart had heard it for the first time 20 years ago. The fearful lub-dub had become one with the newborn lub-dub. Singing a perfect lub-dub into the youthful 20 until the fateful accident that turned the perfect song of a perfect lub-dub into a broken drawing on the monitor. Lub-dub, the fearful one, skips a few to see the perfect drawing. Lub-dub, the fearful one, sheds a tear or two. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, Thanks so much. Yeah. I wrote it for my sister who is going through a rough phase. Her 20-year-old is in coma after a terrible accident. So it, oh, it I'm was sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so sorry to hear that. But that was a beautiful. I love the love dub. Um, just very, very interesting, touching poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. Thanks. Thanks for calling me. Yep. Good night. <laughs> good night. And that was uh, Shilpa Agrawal with a love dub as the sound squishes. Let me grab Shilpa's name and uh, make sure we put her in the address book uh, for, for next time. Add contact. There we go. Let me know who it is. Now, um, let us call. Let us call up. Um, let's call up Zach Hoya Patubby. See what Zach had for us tonight. Hmm. Trying to find Zach's poem on here. Maybe Zach is the piano teeth. Somebody, <laughs> somebody emailed in their um. Well, Zach didn't answer. Uh, he says he's offline. Um, let me try instead James Gaynor. Let's call up James Gaynor. See what James had for us. And uh, let me see. 
trying to find his poem as it rings. Hey, James, thanks so much for joining in. Do you want to share your onomatopoeia poem? Oh, I'd love to, but I'm not Zach. Oh, yeah, as I couldn't. Uh, you're a little behind, maybe. I, I should mention everybody, there's a delay on the in the feed, so I'll call you. Yeah, Zach didn't answer, so I, I moved on to, oh. to James. Okay. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, I, um, it, it, I, the prompt sort of stayed in my mind, and when I got up the next morning, I usually start the day with writing a haiku, and then I go on with stuff, and I woke up and... TikTok was in my mind because it was the first of the onomatopoeias that, that you would put into the prompt. Hmm. So I wrote a haiku, and then I sort of, I like the way haikus with the, with the seven, you know, the 17 syllable things can rearrange themselves on the page. And then I like, I love punctuation. So I, I kind of came up with uh, this poem called Onomatopoeia, and uh, it has uh, the phonetic sounding out under it because I love the way that alphabet sounds and looks. Uh, and the first haiku was, My clock sings cricket poems, autumn rain. And then tick tock, tick tock, tick, tock, tick, tick, tock, tick. Then I have ano. My talk clock tick sings talk crick tick poems talk autumn tick rain motto um, tick my talk clock tick sings talk crick tick poems talk autumn tick rain and poia tick my talk clock tick sings talk cricket tick poems Oh, that was great, James Gaynor. Um, I love that onomatopoeia. Um, and uh, starting out your day with a haiku sounds like a great, great thing to do. Uh, it's something I, I spent a, a fairly a, a, most of the eighties. I, I spent thinking I would be a Zen monk, and that's sort of one of the things that we did at the Zendo. And I didn't become a Zen monk. I just found that I actually was there because I, I thought that I looked good in a robe. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so, but I kept the the haiku habit, and uh, I've always loved them. I, I love the way they they can clarify a thought process, and I like the classic thing of using a a place and an action and a season. And then I also love sort of the textual ones that sum up and just have fun. Yeah, well, I love the way you play with the sounds in in these uh, these this series of haiku. Thanks so much for sharing that, James. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Good night. Yes, it was James Gaynor, and James was the one who asked that question, by the way, about um about rhyme in Alison Townsend's uh, poems. Let's see what we have. Let me um, I pulled up one poem to read from a uh, rattle, and uh, this is one of my favorite poems. Um, I think we I think we nominated it for a uh, Pushcart Prize, maybe. Um, this is uh, but it is a onomatopoeia poem too. And maybe my, my favorite onomatopoeia poem that we've uh, that I've seen, and uh, this is a a poem by our friend Eric Campbell who is on Rattlecast number forty six, and this is uh, sound and sense. And there's a little um, there's a little epigraph from uh, Genesis two nineteen, which you can guess 
uh, what that is. This is Eric Campbell's Sound and Sense. Work wouldn't have understood his mission's delicacy, why he needed to be naked on Monday instead of at the office, buttoned down and pressed in order to play Garden of Eden, to be the gardener, weeding out words that just didn't fit. He decided to call in sick last night, after his wife slammed the door. That is the sound of hope losing its feathers, he said, aloud to the hallway mirror, which insisted on underscoring his wrong. The door sounded nothing like at all like slam, he thought. Perhaps thack. And when the mirror ended up smashed, it didn't surprise him that the glass didn't make the sound of sucker. But when he later labeled his cat meow before bed, things seemed a bit better. The very air made windy with honesty. Renaming things naked in his kitchen, the next morning the phone kept ringing, but he hadn't named it yet. He knew ring would be small, cliché, so it couldn't be answered. Although rechristening nouns in his cupboards and drawers took all morning, turning on every appliance and listening for verity, dropping each piece of flatware on the floor, so many silver sounds, he thought, compounding this crucial list. The concrete nouns were nothing compared to the abstract although he did manage to successfully rename Justice Fouche while drinking coffee, just after Cook became Sis. And so softly he progressed through the audible afternoon. The coffee soon became brandy, which shortly became schlip. By 4 p.m. she still hadn't returned, although he surmised she may have phoned. At 4.30 he struggled to give pathetic more precision and failed. At five, he decided to call his office, having momentarily dubbed phone ring for utilitarian, not honest reasons. His secretary answered the ring with an easy hello, followed by a deep sigh, sibilating through the receiver. How did you know it was me? he asked. I'm sorry, she said. Who's calling? It was almost enough to make him go upstairs and get dressed, but the stairs were still nameless, dangerous. He hadn't a clue where they might lead. That was from rattle number 28, a automatopoeia poem, a sound and sense by Eric Campbell. Um, okay, well, let's go to, um, let's call up Nivedita Karthik. Um, oops, ah, I, I took too long. I should have called Nivedita first. She says, um, can you please read my poem to me? Yeah, I'll read Nivedita's too. Here we go. I'll find it. Sorry, I, uh, she has a meeting that she has to go to. This is um, Nivedita's poem for the prompt. Um, and Nivedita, of course, is a resident of India. Um, let's see, I've written a poem of the prompt, uh, write an onomatopoeia. It is more a scene description using onomatopoeia. The poem has not been previously published. Okay. And um, Water Under the Bridge and Fireworks Above in Autumn. This is a Nivedita Karthik's poem for the prompt this week. Here we go. Uh, Water Under the Bridge and Fireworks Above in Autumn. Teardrops from heaven splash into the still, silent river during the perpetual drizzle. The pitter-patter of raindrops breaks, the hellish hush of dusk, accompanied by the rumble of thunder on the base. Remnant drops from the rusty pipes, those that creak alongside plop, with nary a splash into the now-rushing river. Yet above it all, a show unfolds, infinitely more exciting, with a swish and a swoosh, bright streaks whiz past, the gently shining silver moon. 
With a crackle and a sparkle, the rockets light up the sky, glimmering, sparkling, shining, spiraling, fizzing slower and slower until, with a whoosh, all turns dark again. And all the while, brown leaves rustle in the wind, adding melody to the night's chorus. Then they fall down with a whoosh, signaling curtains down on yet another night, yet another night at the opera of nature, guest, staring, starring human pyrotechnics. Excellent one. That was Nivedita Karthik. Very fun to read with all those uh, swooshing words. Thanks so much for sharing that, Nivy. It's always a pleasure. Sorry, uh, sorry we couldn't get you quite in time. I missed you by a few minutes. Um, let me see. Let's call up Caitlin Buxbaum. See what Caitlin had for us. I know I saw her on the... Hold on. <laughs> no, no problem, no problem. The reading of Nibby's poem. That was, was a fun, like, that was a very fun poem to read. Yeah, and I always like the, I think I like the... Um, onomatopoeia words that have to do with water those are always fun yeah they're they're very accurate when they have to do with water sorry i just realized i grabbed my mic it was probably super loud in your ear no no it wasn't actually okay good (laughs) okay so so what do you have for us you have an onomatopoeia poem i assume yes so um i confess this is not a new poem um i sent you two from my second chapbook Mm -hmm. which is this one, ever unknown, ever misunderstood. Ooh, I think that's backwards. No, it is. Yeah, ever oh, unknown, okay. ever misunderstood. Yep. Just me. Yeah, we got it. Cool. Um, so, yeah, it's funny because when when you mentioned the prompt, I was like, hmm, I don't know what I'm going to write. And then I thought, wait, I think I have a fair number of those, actually. Excellent. Um, so that was kind of fun to go back through my old stuff and be like, oh, yeah, that one. Um, so this one, I'm going to try to sort of do a sound effect for you. I don't know if it's going to work. We'll see. Okay. Um, so this is the shorter one. It's it's only like 12 lines or something. Mm-hmm. And it's called, um, I told her to use a thimble. A dull followed by a soft th- tells me my mother is sewing. An unlikely hobby for one such as her. I smile and marvel at the effect of my unborn niece as I watch my mother's fingers pluck the thread in and out of the cross stitch and sometimes accidentally in and out of her own flesh oh that was great i love that that poem caitlin i told her to use a thimble i love that mm-hmm. the sound effects really fit and work really well with that thanks i haven't uh i haven't tried to like read that aloud before so i didn't know if it was going to work but um that was a really uh key moment for me watching my mom do that because you know, as the poem says, she's she'd like never sewn mm-hmm. since I think before my sister was born. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was a nice little thing. Oh, and um, I guess I should mention sure. I'm going to be reading some other poems from this book on um, local radio on Valentine's Day, but they're oh, going to cool. broadcast it on YouTube and on their website. So mm-hmm. what's the radio yeah. station or where can people find it? So the website is RadioFreePalmer.org. Mm-hmm. Um and I assume their YouTube channel is linked from there. But they they also go by Big Cabbage Radio, mm-hmm. um, which there's a story behind that. But we'll save that for a later time. Um, <laughs> well, thank so, you. Well, yeah. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully people can find that. Uh, thanks so much for sharing, Caitlin. Thanks for letting me. Yep. Good night. You too.
Yeah, so that was Radio Free Palmer, or did you just say something about cabbage? <laughs> You'll have to listen back. I mean, that's a that brings up a point that um, you know you can pause and rewind um, these uh, if you miss anything or you step out for a second. There is a there is a way you can move back and forth through time. You don't have to stay live. If you're watching, I think on on Facebook too, um, YouTube definitely. Periscope and Twitter, I think not at all. But um, but if you're watching on YouTube or something, you can always back up and see what Caitlin said if you missed it. Um, let me see who is next. Um, so Vicky Miko has a haiku, and I think since it takes a long time to to connect, I think I'll just read Vicky's haiku if she doesn't mind. This is a middle of the night. Here we go. Let me put it up for her. Let me drop this down. There we go. Middle of the night. Middle of the night. Boing, yo-yo, boing. A cat twangs the doorstop. Middle of the night. Boing, yo-yo, boing. A cat twangs the doorstop. Oh, I love that. We have cats too. And they uh, they twang the doorstop a lot. They think it's hilarious, I think. Um, let's see. Um, let me see. Who should we go to next? Let's try... Let's do Kristen Linnea Ryberg. Hello, this is Kristen. Hey, do you want to? Sh- trying- yeah, do you want to share your poem? Sure. Did you get the second one? The first one was the wrong file. Um, I'm sure I did. Let's see. Yep, here we go. Okay. And this is an outcast. Not the, yeah. Not the mark, marked up version, uh, but this is a, a narrative poem, mm-hmm. and um, uh, also it's it's not new, but I thought it. it there are parts of it that would work for the prompt. And um, it's from a class that I took some time ago with Cecilia Wolock. Have you, I think you've maybe had her on yeah, there. Yeah, we've published her. I haven't had her on the show yet, but we, we should sometime for sure. Yeah. Gosh, she's so good. Oh, my God. Anyhow, um, so she asked us to imagine if you were gone and you had given something or something was left to someone or it got left maybe at a thrift shop and somebody had this object that was once yours and maybe imagine what may have happened to it. So that's what the the poem came out of and it's outcast. So I'll read it. Yeah, um, go ahead. It rests above the living room windows, rattles when taken down to dust dulled gold finish tapers from reel to final silver loop tip the fly rod i made to surprise dad on father's day hollow rounds of painted blonde bamboo joints and metal eyes i carefully wound with green thread for flashing coral line to pass through a small feathered hook tied to the end of a barely visible filament leader secured as taut with a fisherman's knot. The rod came back to me after Dad died, unused, promises of teaching forgotten. But one day, my nephew will use it. Master fly fishing, cast over and over in a front yard or field, a receptive pond, river, become a fly fishing guide, leave South Georgia, the dingy beige trailer on cinder blocks, He will go to Montana, breathe clean, green, needled tree air. Hawked winged skies will open his possibilities. Rocky Mountains chaperone his strength. 
as he demonstrates technique to a sullen 14-year-old. The click, click, click from the pull of the line and the whoop, whoop as it arcs wide, graceful loops forward, then back, halfway, a meditative second, hangs midair. His arm a-dancer's as his hand-tied squalawater walker fly touches the river's surface. Does he feel his grandfather's confident stance and waiters as he moves to deeper water? Oh, that was excellent. Thanks so much. And that was uh, Outcast by Kristen Linnea Ryberg. Mm-hmm. There's something about uh, Automatopoeia that makes for great poems, I think. I didn't really think of this as a <laughs> especially you know good prompt. I, I mean, it's a good prompt, but no offense, Megan. But, uh, but I, didn't imagine, I didn't realize how good using those devices in poems makes the poems, I think. They really come alive. It really does make it automatically musical. You know, it just it just gets it right in there. Yeah, and like from reading Nebby's, uh, uh, it was really fun to say. <laughs> just you know, all yeah, the they're fun. Yeah, yeah, they really are. And, and everyone's was so fun. I enjoyed the show. I am enjoying it so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Kristen. Always good to hear from okay. you. Okay. Good night. Thank you. But good night. Yeah, there's a uh, Kristen Linnea Ryberg. Now, once again, let me uh, remind you how to do it. So, um, we had um. Who was it? Um, yeah, Catherine Yetz uh, had sent a poem, but but uh, I don't have any way to call you. So um, email me your phone number or um, give me a call at 818-850-7727 if you'd like to uh, read your poem live on the air. It'd be great to, since um, I remember from the, the chat that Catherine Yetz is uh, friends with Allison. So it's always nice to uh, have have uh, friends of the poets on the open mic. So please, I hope you can call in. Um, let's go to Brent Stauffer. Um where did Brent go? Here he is. Oh, there yeah, he goes. There we go. See, I, I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't do anything about it until the icon decides to show up. Mm-hmm. And then I can click it so that you can hear me and I can hear you. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I thought we'd waited long enough. I gave a little pause before I turned you on, but but it wasn't long <laughs> enough. <laughs> anyway. Not, not quite long enough. Yeah. But once you get here, it's always great to have you, Brent. So what do you have for us tonight? This yeah. is the little god yeah. of night. Yeah. Um, well, I like I like I often do for a prompt. I'll I'll Google it. Mm-hmm. So I just googled uh, uh, examples of onomatopoeia, and um, whippoorwill came came right out at me. And so I looked up whippoorwill and found out some interesting myths and legends that surround it. Oh, that's interesting. News so, to me. Yeah. So, yeah. So so that's uh, uh, that's where it comes from. Very cool. I'm looking forward to hearing this because uh, I don't okay. know anything about whippoorwills. So, yeah. Well, you won't. Well, you won't. I don't know if you're gonna learn that much, <laughs> but, but we'll see. Um, little little god of night. If I heard in the woods one night among the oaks the whippoorwill call, would I follow him? I can see his proud perch on that thick dark branch under a canopy of shadow, with moccasin flower shoes. Above us sits a crown of scattered white-hot stars. On a rock in the twisting creek, a frog yearns to be the moon. I come into the clearing without lucky strikes or Snapchat. Empty-handed I stand. If he lured me deeper, they say I might live forever. If he abandoned me in there, I apparently wouldn't last the night. Behind me lurks an aching lack of angels. No rustling wings or considered counsel. Silence unbroken by any bird song. Oh, whippoorwill, call your call. Who knows if I'll stay or go? 
It's time, though, isn't it? Whippoorwill. Oh, Whippoorwill. Oh, that was great. Yeah, I kind of vaguely remember now that that, that story. Yeah, that should you yeah, follow the, it or not? Yeah. Yeah, apparently if you follow it and it keeps calling, mm-hmm. then you'll like live for a really long time. But if you follow it and it immediately stops, then like you're going to die immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's also one about um, um, one group of uh, Native Americans considered it a god of night. And that it would turn frogs into the moon. Interesting, huh? Yeah, just because it felt like it, I suppose. <laughs> that is very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that, Brett. Yeah. I always love learning stuff. Thanks so much. Yeah, me too. Thanks a lot, Tim. Yep. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I was thinking uh, if, if the whippoorwill stops singing, it's probably because some predator's there. We got that, that mountain lion that is still in our town every night, every night when I go for a walk now freaks me out hopefully i will, will not hear whippoorwill and then it won't disappear uh, let me see uh who we have next we have um let's call up angela gardner we got about 15 minutes left so i think we'll get to richard too i'll try again the people we missed hey good evening angela how are you doing tonight good how are you doing i'm doing great another fun show um what do you have for us um, yeah, everyone is great. I feel like mine is so simple compared to everyone and Allison. So <laughs> like everyone is awesome. So, um, actually I was inspired by Poe tonight. Um, the bells is a big onomatopoeia poem from oh, yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And, um, I kind of did it kind of in his format, but obviously I'm not Poe. So like, I just like did the one, two, three. Um, but uh, otherwise it's nothing like Poe, but I just, (laughs) (laughs) but I live like, Oh, you know, he's just, you know, very, um, bells and it's, it's cause it's, it, it has like the bells is like wooden bells and, you know, it's wedding bells. So it's like different, it's, it's different bells. And this, this is kind of like different, um, of a dog's day. So Mm -hmm. different different times of a dog's day. Excellent. I'm looking forward to hearing this. I, you know, we, you know, we talked about it before, but I love Poe too. And, uh, and dogs. So it's kind of a perfect combination. Let's hear it. The dogs stay. Feed the hungry dog. He jumps up and scratches my legs. Crunch, crunch. I pick up the food. It swirls around in the bag. His excited tail wags. I measure one cup of kibble. All the contents splash in the bowl. Crunch, crunch. Two. Hear the dog barking. Oh, look, he sees a squirrel. Bark, bark. The bird in a tree eyeing prey, swoosh. It tries not to disturb the dog on the ground. The dog sees it and snaps his jaws. Bird flies away, clutching a mole in its claws. Bark, bark. Three. See the dog sleeping on the couch with his eyes closed. Snore, snore. In a dream, he growls and whines. His paws move like he's running. Nose twitching, he starts to howl. He's chasing an invisible squeaky ball. Snore, snore. Excellent. Thanks so much, Angela. That was a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Have a great night. Yep, you Thanks. too. Bye. Bye. Yeah, fun poem, The the Dog's Day by Angela Gartner. Always a pleasure, Angela. Um, let me try now. Let's try it. We'll do, um, we have Richard Westheimer. Um, we'll try Botchnovic again. But now um, we have uh, Kristen. Let me find where that went. Or no, Catherine. Catherine Yetz. Let me call up Catherine Yetz to to share her poem. And uh, got the number here. 
Hey, Catherine, I think I hear myself in the background. I got to mute you for a second so uh, so you can turn that off. Perfect. Hello, Catherine. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, you're friends with Allison, I guess, right? Yes, I am. Um, she uh, she's my poetry mentor. Oh, terrific! Um, so you go to the yeah, university. Like yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, have you? Are you an undergraduate or a grad student? Um, I I was an undergraduate um, many years ago now, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I went to graduate school for teaching actually. Ah, ah, very cool. And what do you think? Um, before you read your poem, um, what do you think was the the biggest thing you learned from Allison being having her be your mentor? Um, definitely to be lyrical. Uh huh. To be a lyrical poet and to really pay attention to sound. Um, also, um, imagery was big. Um, we I took a class for called Writing from the Senses, and I learned a lot of different things from that class. That's terrific. Yeah, that, that's great. Definitely exhibited in her poems for sure. Um, and what do you have for us? It's fear. Um, is there anything you want to say to introduce it? Um, yes, I'd like to say that um, it's actually part of a collection um, that um, me and a couple other poets were in, and it's published by Pity Milk Press. It's called um, "On" or it's called "Behind the Lines, On the Front Lines." Um, it's a really great um, collection of poems, of political poems, actually. So interesting. Okay, well, let's hear. It. Yeah, whenever you're ready, go ahead. I have it on screen for everybody at home. All right, fear. Insert here the oppressive concern in today's news between the pickles and condiments. Insert here the trans woman in the back of the church. Please just let me sit here between prayers. Insert here the blue collars bipolar. Please stop between gunshots. Insert here my husband's tears. They don't understand between folded laundry. Insert here my wisdom tooth I cannot afford to remove. One more McChicken between dollar bills in my wallet. Insert here disease control and all those jokes. Ha ha between golden awards. Insert here a selfie. I look beautiful between poetry lines. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was Fear um, by Catherine Yates. And you can hear the lyricism and, um, and I love the repetition of the insert here. Thanks for sharing that, Catherine. Glad you could, could join us and we could get a hold of you. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. Good night. Bye. Bye. Okay. So um, let me try. We'll try Bochnevik one more time. See uh, See if we can connect there. We have Richard Westheimer still to go. Sorry, Richard, for, for making you wait. But uh, almost. So still no answer. Uh, Bochnevik might have stepped away or, uh, or um, doesn't have the ringer on not sure but let's call up richard westheimer now let me find him on the this will be the last poet of the night so we're coming up on time richard has uh here he comes hey good evening richard how are you doing tonight good evening and i don't mind waiting because i'm listening to all the poems anyway so it's uh it's it's a treat and boy again each interview i i walk out afterwards and say to my wife Oh, that was really the best. <laughs> well, I'm so yeah. glad to hear that. We try to try to top ourselves every week. And, and Allison, I've been a fan of hers for so long, and uh, I didn't really get to it. But she, um, you know, doesn't have a, a web presence, doesn't have a, a website, uh, it doesn't isn't online. So it's sort of, um, you know, her poems just sort of appear every once in a while. And I'm like, wow. And then they kind of, you know, I wonder wonder what um, where she is. So it's great to finally meet her. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say she doesn't have a web presence because one, one of the things I felt about her poems is they were sort of uh, imminent as like embodied. They were they yeah. were of a person, of a body. And that might have something to do with the fact that she's disconnected from, yeah, from yeah. all this. Well, honestly, I hope she stays that way. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, um, so what do you have for us? This is reminded of what's gone missing. It is. And it's not as... Um, as on the nose, on a monopoeic, is that the right way to yeah. say it? Some of the others, it's just sort of filled with sound words that uh, um, were made possible by what the storm that blew in last night. Excellent. We're looking forward to hearing this. Go ahead whenever, whenever you're ready. Reminded of what's gone missing. It began last evening as a crystalline mist little stinging bits of ice driving me inside to be warmed by the oven so snug I forgot the winter storm warning until I heard shushing against the window a whisper of snow lightening the night tumbling. The glow of my reading lamp reached out through the glass, illuminated the flurry sent me to bed already, dreaming of what it would be to awaken to winter, to bundle up full of hot coffee, muffed and booted, ready to trudge out to the plow that I bought 10 years ago, never used, as the seasons have flattened against a warming world. We've slushed through the dark days, missed our cheeks glowing red from sled rides and shoveling drives and cocoa ready, warming. Most times now we haul firewood over muddy paths, leave the skis leaned up in the shed and bide the days till spring, until today, snowbound, when we're reminded of what's gone missing. Excellent poem, Richard. And your, your poems always have such a, a sonic quality to start with. And so it's a little turned up on that one. I love that. Thanks so yeah, much well, for sharing it, Richard. Increase the volume. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I yeah. love the, the prompts are a great, great part of my week. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad, Richard. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay. Yeah. That was Richard Westheimer with Reminded of What's Gone Missing. Um, let me make, let me see. Uh, we do have a little bit more time. Um. I'll try Zach one more time, and if, if that doesn't work, I'll, I'll hit the random button and, and see. I'll read whatever comes up. So I don't think he's. I don't think Zach's going to answer. Yep, no Zach again. Um, let me do the random button then. And uh, this is Bob Drojarski. I think um I think Bob is a mailman, if I remember right. Hope I got that right. I think he is. Though. This is from rattle number twenty six. It's a poem called Home, and we'll end the show sharing this poem by uh by bob there we go this is home he holds his breath at the thought of going back to a life reduced to a double saw buck bet on a three-teamer going south down forgotten streets on crooked dreams past cemeteries that still had room for him for trying to turn a marriage into cash that killed his house and left him in this place where he listens for footsteps on the walk and fumbles for his keys before he unlocks the door and exhales, walking through his own breath to home where the people you hope to find you never do. And that is Home by Bob Drojarski from medal number 26 that came up on the random button. And we will end, it, uh, end the show that way. Thanks, everybody. Um, 
for joining in and, and being a guest. Always a pleasure. I loved all these poems. Just wonderful things you were all sharing and uh, really appreciate it. There's just so much fun for me to do this every week. Um, I don't feel like it's it's work at all. It's just fun. And um, and, and it's only because you're here doing it. And uh, I get to write a poem too. And Megan does. And we're really having a blast with these Rattlecasts. So thanks so much uh, to everybody. Once again, do click the like button if you haven't yet. Uh, and make sure you're subscribed if you're not. Uh, make sure you're following our Facebook page and all that stuff. Now, next week's prompt is going to be um, right here. This is write a poem about a chance encounter with a stranger. That's next week's prompt. Write a poem about a chance encounter with a stranger. Uh, for for Al- Angela Gardner, that'll be good. Uh, a good Poe poem. I can already I can hear it already. Um, and I don't know. I wonder what I'll do. That's interesting. Write a poem about a chance encounter with a stranger. That's next week's prompt for the Rattlecast. And next week's guest in the Rattlecast is going to be Rebecca Starks, like I already mentioned. Um, Rebecca um, won the, I don't know, 2018, I think, Neil Postman Award for Metaphor for her poem Open Season about um, about shootings in America, um, comparing it to uh, Umbrellas. A uh, really interesting poem. We could go back and read that. It's a great one. Um, you know, I have a couple minutes. Maybe I'll read that right now. Let me just do that, actually. Let me uh, open carry, not open season. I was in two, con- two poems confused. Uh, we had another poem called Open Season. This is the one. This was a Neil Postman Award for Metaphor winner in 2018. And I'll, uh, I'll read it if it's too quiet. I'll play it if it's not. So here we go. This is Rebecca Starks, next week's guest in the Rattlecast with Open Carry. Here you go. Open carry. Open carry. What if each of their lives had stood a folded umbrella until that day? What if the National Umbrella Association lobbied to change Lux laws and we could open umbrellas in the house, lay them on beds and give them as gifts, and even on sunny days carry them open in nightclubs and churches, movie theaters and elementary schools, offices and outdoor concerts, a real cause— so we no longer had to leave them shut up in closets or hanging on walls or leaning against porch railings or stashed in the drawers of bedside tables in hotels, so that everyone could be prepared, everyone be saved, the black honeycomb of mourning stand its ground, shoulder to shoulder, against the cloud's dark motive. It rains four inches a year in Las Vegas. What if this isn't the time to talk about umbrellas? I have one in my bag right now, a Robinson, a Gamp, a spring-loaded automatic, At a touch it will bloom to receive the syncopated sound of rain dancing, hopping on the taut roof, the way a gun can sound like firecrackers from the sky. It's true there are still puddles and spray. There's the lower half of you. The arm aches. The skin blows inside out like a skirt in the wind. See the man trying to keep a woman dry, covering suede and silk and hair with the shield of his body. What if umbrellas don't keep you dry? People keep you dry and are broken trying. Yeah. What if umbrellas don't keep you dry? People keep you dry and are broken trying. And that was um, a response to um, um, the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah, the Las Vegas shooting in, 19, in 2018. Uh, that was Open Carry by Rebecca Starks. And she is our guest on the Rattlecast next week. So looking forward to, uh, to that. Once again, that's Rebecca Starks. Uh, Rattlecast number 80, February 16th, and the prompt is to write a poem. Um, where did it go? Write a poem about a chance encounter with a stranger. So, hope you can join us for Rattlecast number 80 with Rebecca Starks next Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. As always, hope you have a great night. Thanks, as always, for joining me. I'll see you soon. Good night. Mm-hmm.